Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. I was going to say, I, what, I, when, what I'm told that's a, like the biggest rivalry in football or soccer in Spain and that uh, it usually gets pretty rowdy and somewhat violent too, just depending on the outcome. Well, I was telling you that it's pretty cheap when you're over in Spain, but we were on the train coming back from uh, a little place called Montserrat and people were trying to buy tickets to that night's game and they were spending like American ticket prices, a few hundred dollars for like nosebleed to watch the soccer game. Madrid ended up winning in case you were curious. I'm sure you were. I know you're highly vested in uh, European football. Matches. Very much so. Yeah. And I believe it's La Liga, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that's about the depth of my uh, European soccer knowledge. I mean, that's pretty good. And then from there, I know that uh, Ryan Reynolds bought his one team. That's right. I've uh, seen that show on Netflix. And Rob, speaking of sports, your your Warriors back in the series after uh, putting down the Kings last night. I was going to get a couple bottles together and do the Warriors. <laughs> For anybody who's seen the 70s cult classic, if not, I'm not crazy, I swear. Mm, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. You had to pull the burgundy quote out. I had to. We got at least like three or four to be thrown at you for the next few years. So, Mike. Yes. Rob. You just said two weeks in Spain was less expensive than one week in Washington, D.C. You were were you in Washington, D.C. for the NBA advocacy event? No, I have yet to go to D.C. for an actual work trip. Things have never lined up for that. So this was actually a year ago. We went after we got finished because we couldn't get out of the country. So we went to D.C. for a week during the whole cherry blossom season. And how are the cherry blossoms? Uh, They have a whole festival, which I did not know. Bands and everything. I didn't know cherry blossoms were something to be so celebrated. Oh, they are. From what I'm told, it's like the worst time to to go to D.C. because you have a whole contingent that comes out annually just for the cherry blossoms. I don't know. They have princesses and pageants and concerts in Arizona. You see a cherry and you're like, wait, what? I don't even know what a pageant is exactly, but uh, I do want to ask you about your very cool bookcase. Um, the you, is that, compared to your bookcase in the background, Rob? Well, mine is mine is a, a pedestrian bookcase at best uh, compared to uh, Mr. Metz's floor to ceiling monolithic masterpiece was that a huge yeah was that a huge uh discussion topic whether you'd go all the way to the ceiling with the uh, bookcase so our contractor when we did this place that was one of the things we wanted was library because both my wife and i read too many books and they kept asking us well do you want us to make larger spaces he can put decorative items we said no we'll actually have books to fill it like all of them yes so we went Florida Very and even got the little ladder that I'm actually honestly terrified to go on because I'm always <laughs> afraid that it's not quite going to hold my weight because it looks very nice. But you know, uh, as I would comment, do you really do you need a ladder? You're very uh, tall. I, you are a tall. Unfortunately, do to get those top ones. So you put the books that people don't read as much up there. Kind of like the uh, like in a, in a uh, bar, like where do you put the, the top shelf? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I know for people who haven't met Mike, who are on the line, uh, the camera level right now is probably at about six, five. 
<laughs> and so you can see Mike is looking down at the uh, laptop camera. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we we should get going talking about mortgages, right? I suppose. Yeah. But uh, on that uh, cue up, welcome everybody into the latest edition of the rundown. Uh, actually, I believe it's the happy surprise drug test day version of the rundown. Uh, Rob, the burning question everybody wants to know, how did you celebrate 420? I don't see any dog bites or anything on you. So looks like no, uh, no drug dog related issues. So that must be a success in its own For right. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, 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 nothing happened on 420. I could, yeah. uh, I could, I could, a Myrtle is right off camera here. I could, Myrtle looks like she's, uh, she was, she's still celebrating somewhat from, uh, 420, but no, nothing, nothing exciting. Are, are you able to give Myrtle a cameo so everyone can, uh, can verify the authenticity? <laughs> See, there you go. Perfect reason for the podcast listeners to join us live or check out the uh, the YouTube on-demand version. This is the footage you just can't get otherwise. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you should reveal your other secret as well, that there's a... It's, it's right up there with David Attenborough's... David Attenborough's... Uh, the, other, the other... Gusto? Gusto the cat? Mm-hmm. Well, Rob shows off his... Uh, his feline collection. I want to welcome <laughs> exactly our feline guest collection. All right. today. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to uh, guarantee fees or something else. Or, you got it. Well, we got to welcome in one of the smartest, most collaborative, honestly, one of the wittiest people I know in our industry. Operations manager with VIP Mortgage, Mike Metz. Mike, welcome to the rundown. Hello, everybody, thank you. Thank you for having me. And this is uh, quite a recurrence, Mike. Two days in a row. We were just together on a webinar yesterday. Uh, featuring our partners at True, kind of talking mm-hmm. with Devin Daly about um, kind of a growing trust in AI-generated loan data and essentially how you can start to leverage all this data at your fingertips to drill down into kind of workflow, operational issues, um, looking at things, reducing turn times. Rob, I won't even finish. I'll let you hop right in. Uh, so... You know, I've still got my flip phone, Tom. Uh, so remember that you're dealing with a technological Luddite uh, uh, here. But did you also have, uh, you know, webinars and sessions on blockchain, just like you're having on AI? Well, I feel like blockchain died on the vine back in 2019 when it was the uh, the industry buzzword at the time. So we did not drive into uh the latest on the blockchain ledger and, and where it could be leveraged within our industry. I can't speak to blockchain already asking me to talk on AI. They were kind to invite me, but it was like when your kids play in the recorder in the band in like third grade, pretending to be a musician. That's what it was like when I was talking AI. You go blockchain and it's two levels past where I can right. wrap my brain around. Yeah, I always said I always said blockchain was a solution looking for a problem. And I think there are still proponents out there, but certainly the, you know, Tom, you put it succinctly in terms of dying on the vine. You don't really hear about blockchain much anymore, and it, uh, especially with with cryptocurrency having fallen out of favor. I'm just wondering uh, if if artificial intelligence is heading that way. I mean, it certainly fills up my email box with all kinds of information about it. 
So I would I guess argue, we'll where it goes. And, and I'll let Mike chime in too. I'd argue just the opposite. I think we're just at the the jumping off point where people more on a global scale are getting, you know, a little more familiar with how AI and practical use cases already exist kind of in your daily life. We talked about this yesterday, just, you know, you, you talked about your flip phone, Rob, do you have the technology on there where you're typing in a text message and it suggests you the next word or the next couple words to finish out the uh, sentence or phrase you're making? Is that how the newsletter uh-huh. is written? I do. I have that with my personal email account and it's, Same thing. and it's at times, you know, cool. And, it, but I briefly have to think about how do I actually accept the fill in words, but sometimes it's infuriating, like, leave me alone. I just want to type. Thank you. Period. Not thank you very much. Comma kind of thing. <laughs> so is that, is that AI at work? Technically yeah. it is. Yeah. And, and how uh, does that, I missed, I unfortunately missed the session yesterday. What is the, if you had to explain in one paragraph, what AI impact or, or where, where is it, where is it currently in the mortgage residential mortgage world? It is just in the exciting new world. You know, it's something that at least personally I've been looking for years and, you know, similar to blockchain, didn't really see it as a viable solution yet, at least for us without, you know, developers and, leagues behind us. And then this kind of past year, you started to get some options. So True AI, for example, scans documents, recognizes them, helps in separating, and then recognizes the text on those documents and lets you put it in the system. So for example, it can take your closing package and extract the note and the deed out and take out the final CD and put them in the proper places. Or in our case, you receive a big package from someone you can separate out so you don't have someone spending three hours splitting up that file. So it's got some nice like, oh, we can actually implement that versus trying to figure out how to use chat GPT to talk to your clients and getting you into trouble. Yeah. How's that? For uh, Steven, my, my flip phone is not a rotary dialed flip phone. I'll have you know. If, if I remember, I'll tote it out for the next episode. Well, so, Steve Turner would also let you to know that AI today is like the internet was in 1995, you know, it's just coming widely available and we're all kind of figuring out how the best way is to use it. It's what uh, I've talked about a little bit in there. You're getting all this data and then the next stage is going to be, you know, assessing it and trying to figure out, um, you know, potential workflow solutions or deficiencies in your process that you can solve for. So uh, to be determined, but it's real. Is it expensive for lenders to adopt? I mean, there's other products out there that are, um, but then there are ones that you can actually cost effectively implement and start putting in. I know there's some other lenders within the TMC market who have spent way more money developing it all in-house. We're not there yet. So we were able to do a more approachable, hey, let's crawl first and see how it does with this. That's right. Cool. Very good. Uh, Well, thank you. to say, well, you were out last Friday and we had uh, Robbie in your stay. I uh, nice haircut for the episode, too. We uh, we kind of talked through the hum to data findings and um, yeah, brief high level for the audience. If you weren't on last week, I think that the biggest takeaways I had was just IMB is kind of carrying the load of origination where they're representing 20% of lending institutions, yet doing nearly 60% of the origination volume. And then 
credit unions in particular are still kind of playing catch up to pivot to the purchase market, where surprisingly, 55% of their originations in 22 were on the refi side. So with some uh, some interesting takeaways with our partners at iMerge with their last week. And they Good. said it's the best. No, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. Oh, no, all good. I just say they, uh, they sent you your best out there. But uh, welcome, everybody, to the rundown again. Got uh, some top headlines from the week we can certainly dive into. Rob, I know you've kind of spent some time extensively covering this uh, in your commentary this week. The Yexi uh, at PB staffer that sent uh, 250,000 uh, consumer <laughs> personal uh, accounts to their email. And that staffer was dismissed. but. Uh, no right. proof yet of the deletion of the data, no longer with the CFPB. And Rob, for any commentary on there, I do want to clear the air to our audience. As far as we know, the culprit was not Rich Werbinski as part of his request to uh, succeed Rohit Chopra in the run for CFP director in 26. Uh, Rich is busy uh, running a sports card, starting a sports card empire. I, I think th that is just so... I mean, I, I tell people that, you know, I carry around a backpack. In my backpack are my passwords. Sorry, I write them down on a piece of binder paper because I can't remember them or a username and password. I, and uh, my writing is so bad that if, the, if, the, if this list were to fall into nefarious hands, I don't think they could do anything with it. But the it's just it's almost like a sign of the times and when you talk to people about people in their 20s or 30s or 40s about first of all privacy it's almost as if we have none and second of all do you expect you know do you expect your your username and passwords or whatever your account information to get stolen i don't know if this came up last week with robbie but um i was with him in manhattan a few weeks ago and we passed this kiosk on the street where you could i think charge your cell phone or there was some kind of some kind of charging station. I don't remember the exact details, but um, he said, "Well, yeah, I, I did that." And then, uh, you know, within 24 hours, my somebody was using my credit card. You know, yeah. so, I mean, they, they had mean, taken it's, the. It's very real. You know, hackers can do scans at airports on those kind of public access terminals. Same way as you've seen scams in the past, where you put your credit card into a gas pump and somebody runs it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not funny. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of we can laugh about it and chuckle about it, but it can it can result in some very serious things. I know people who've had their you know identification their ID stolen, uh, or uh, worse yet, when it happens to their parents, uh, how how serious that can be. Because I'll tell you, I mean, I know we didn't mean to go down the data breach path with uh, with today's shows necessarily. And uh, uh, but in, in talking to people where you have if you're if you're sitting there and you turn your computer on and up pops an email saying, you know, your benefits have changed. Click here to, to see the, to see how. Well, your first inclination is to click there and see how, because, you know, maybe it impacts your 401k or your insurance or insurance for your kids or whatever. So you want to see that. But oftentimes that's a phishing expedition and you end up exposing the company to a data breach and it can be very serious. Uh, you know, speaking of breaches, I saw the note pop up there about Mayak. Um, 
And somebody asked, you know, has anybody heard anything about Mike? I have not heard anything. Mike, have you, have you heard? I, I don't know if you use Mayak or not, but mm-hmm. and Mayak's obviously not. I mean, there, there's several risk management pipeline hedging companies out there, you know, MCT and, and Compass Analytics and Black Knight and so forth. Mayak is one of those. And a week ago, they were dead in the water and they said, oh, we're going to get it up and going in the early part of this week. And frankly, I haven't heard if they have or not. It's scary stuff. Going to your point, the phishing scams are getting more and more sophisticated. They will not only get access to someone's email, but wait on it and watch them email people back and forth and figure out who else they can go after. They'll register fake email domains so that they can then email and get even more information. And then once they get into that system and they're using hardware systems, they're getting in any which way, it can happen to any uh, company out there. Once they take you down, they can do damage quick. So I feel bad for them and all the different companies because you've got to be super yeah. vigilant. And, yeah. and I'm uh, sure it's related to uh, chat chat GPI somehow. Yeah, uh, Faith uh, Faith chimed in saying Mayak is still not up and going, and I can say this: we're among friends. But I'll tell you, the the competitive pipeline hedging companies are are licking their chops over this. I mean, how do you hedge a pipeline for a couple of weeks without uh, other than Mayak? And I don't know what what remedy there is, but you know, I mean the default kind of thing is to say, okay, well look at your look at your pull through for the last couple of months and just sell forward what your pull through is, which kind of makes sense, but it's not very scientific. But you know, it's like, gee Mayak, uh we're paying you how much? Uh, to to tell us to sell what our pull through has been over the last couple of months. So I don't mean to speak poorly of my act, uh, but I remember I'm going to put on my dinosaur hat here a little bit. And I was one of the partners in Tuttle and Company back in the 1980s. Uh, the original pipeline hedging company, Paul Tuttle, uh, was a gruff uh, son of a gun, shall we say. And it was very, it, you know, any kind of mistake was dealt with harshly. And you just, couldn't have enough backup systems because your clients were relying on you for for this kind of stuff even back then. And so to have something like now, I mean, how can you have some, a system like that go down for a couple of weeks? I, I don't know. I, I I haven't heard. So anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I'll once stop they get into the system, it. they'll sit on that as well. That's where they've gotten trickier and they've gotten patient, and they'll wait for you to back up. So that they're infected in the backups as well, because they're they're smart. They know the first thing a lot of people will do is pull the plug, go to a backup, and come back up. So if they can, they'll get access to your system, then sit on it for a month, two months if they can. So then as you back up and you back up again, they keep going in there and they say, now it's been four days and you backed up twice. Now our price is up, pay up, and we'll give you your data back. Yeah, so a note signed up about ransomware. But uh, yeah. in keeping... Keeping with things, you know who doesn't care about ransomware is uh, is this fine, <laughs> this fine feline who couldn't care less about anything except well, the. I think the, Mike's Mike had a feline friend in the background and probably only <laughs> popped up noticing Myrtle was on the line and. Uh, I don't want to investigate. We don't want a cat fight here. No cat fight. <laughs> but uh, you with us on the rundown here. Rob, Tom, and we've got Mike Metz with VIP Mortgage joining us today. Uh, another big topic of the week saw across uh, LinkedIn, 
A lot of our industry leaders in D.C., Rob, you mentioned it earlier in the discussion for MBA's advocacy conference. Um, on that note, too, we had the announcement of a reintroduction of trigger lead legislation to amend FCRA being reintroduced. Obviously, that's been a hot button with lenders of late. Um, well, I can well, I had some commentary on it, too, just the, the benefit of soft pulls, which have also been uh, widely adopted by lenders in recent months to avoid pulling or those generating those trigger leads. Um, curious kind of how you've approached this with VIP and in a way to kind of not only offset, uh, you know, soaring credit verification costs, but um, also avoid those trigger lead challenges. The credit trigger leads are the bane of my existence right now. Rob mentioned earlier about, you know, data privacy becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And to me, that one's just like the example poster child of that. Um, we had one upset consumer who reached out to us thinking we sold their data and they accounted for us very kindly. And they had 104 different reach outs from that credit trigger, um, which is just an extreme number, especially if you're the average consumer. You don't want to be blowing up text, email, phone calls. So the really only two ways we found to combat that unless Congress fingers still crossed passes that is combination of soft pull and education. You pull the soft pull start, you inform them, okay, now you have enough credit information to start going through and taking a look at things and advising if you have time in that prequal stage to do so, hopefully you do. And then inform them, hey, go to the opt-out pre-screen, sign up. But that's not instant. It takes five, 10 days for that to go through to play it safe before now you can do the hard pull later and not have them get hit by those credit trigger leads. So that's kind of the best we've been doing is encouraging people to do those soft pulls, which also helps with the cost mitigation as well. Just do the one bureau, get the idea. And if you can take that time to get them onto there. And Rod just posted the DNC list is another one. It's super frustrating with the DNC and just the fact that you can sign up for it and still just sit there and get calls and ask them, are you aware of the do not call list? So, so Mike, would you at you're you're at VIP Mortgage, uh, correct? And you have have loan officers out there. Do you? And I know there's a you know one eight hundred opt out, and there's other things that that can can do can be done, but take time. On the flip side of that, and I talked to a a, num, a lot of lenders who you said they're you know trigger leads are the bane of your existence, and, and yeah, they're they're can be pretty bad. The FTC, though, if you look at what the FTC actually publishes and hands out to the public or distributes, they're in favor of of it of them. They say that they encourage competition. They encourage the they promote the borrowers being educated in terms of what else might be out out there in terms of their options, programs, rates, and so forth. So, I think anybody looking for the FTC to say these are bad. Probably that probably will not happen. And I, I would imagine the FTC, you know, I'm going to put on my my Eeyore hat now a little bit, but the FTC has has a lot of pull, I would think, in Congress. And, you know, I mean, the MBA and other organizations, NAM, can go to the uh, Congress and say, these are, you know, th these are bad. Uh, gee, you know, I, I could be a loan officer 
and I am promoting, or I've known this borrower for a year. I've been trying to cultivate this relationship with this borrower. And, uh, you know, I've been, you know, we're, we're friends, we, the little league team, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly they, they want to refinance or they're going to buy a house and they come to me and I pull their credit and suddenly they get a phone call, a predatory phone call from somebody saying, Hey, Joe Smith, you know, I noticed that your credit got pulled, but we're running a special this week only, you know, just give, give us a little bit of information. We'll lock your rate and we'll have your loan closed within, you know, a week and a half or some such thing, bait and switch kind of stuff. Whereas I've just told my friend who I've known for a year, Hey, it's going to take 45 days. We got to get the appraisal. You know, there's uh, some credit things that need to be cleaned up, but people come in they swoop in and every lead, every borrower is precious in this kind of environment. Uh, but I think that if you're some 85-year-old congressperson, uh, or I should that that's stereotypically bad, but you know, if you're if you're not if but you're accurate. in Congress and and the FTC comes to you and says, Well, you're not gonna vote for this predatory, you know, trigger lead thing, are you? Because you know what, we you want your constituents to, to know what choices they have when it comes time to borrow money to buy a home. I mean, that's probably what they're gonna listen to. So I think there's a difference in my personal opinion between education and giving that person options and someone shouting in their ear with a mega horn. And that's what happens when you get 104 different people reaching out. And that's even assuming that they are doing their job diligently. And I'm sure there are some good people who are buying those credit trigger leads. But most of the cases where we end up hearing on them, they are using people to try to call those leads as fast as humanly possible. And they are saying anything they can to try to get them to move forward. And it is bait and switch, or even if it's not true bait and switch, it's, Hey, Tom, I can get you a 5% interest rate right now, or a four and a half percent interest rate. We'll just discuss the 18 discount points later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of trigger leads. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying if you're in Congress, and this legislation comes in and you've got you're, you're up against the FTC you know it's going to be it's going to be a, a tough so i'm glad i'm glad folks from the MBA and many of the lenders who are on this call were in washington dc to you know educate either the actual person in congress or more more likely you know the aide or assistant who works for them who probably knows more about mortgage uh, than the than the elected official anyway so well, now that Rob has uh, cleared out the octogenarian audience of the rundown here, uh, <laughs> great point uh, in from Aaron D from Loan People, who is on last week in Mortgage this week. Um, you know, talking about also doing the advocacy against trigger leads at the state level, and that they're doing a ton of proactive communication out to their network to provide more education on the opt-out process. So. Appreciate all the work, Aaron, and the commentary there. Um, you know, and along those lines, too, shameless plug on my end here. We talked about the benefit of soft pulls, not only from avoiding those trigger leads, but then also as a way to reduce soaring credit verification costs. We actually have a, a webinar with our three partners at TMC uh, next Tuesday, and I can drop that in the chat here. It's really just a focus on analyzing things like your work number bill or internal processes to help reduce costs, kind of best practices uh, to limit some of those soaring costs there. So uh, for those to be interested in that, please join us. Rob, what you got? 
I want to ask Mike, uh, you're you're well known in the industry on in the in the ops side of things. Are you doing your job or what is going on in your job that's different than say might have been going on a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? How has running an ops department for a lender changed? Which what should people on the call be aware of in terms of developments that you've seen recently and might see in the near future? That's a really good question. That one was out of nowhere. So good job. The Brian. long question or the um, first part of Rob's question is to Hey Tom, settle down, settle down, settle <laughs> down. I'm just wondering, you know, what what's what's new that people should know about that you're dealing with? I mean, you mentioned we were talking about AI mm-hmm. earlier. We're talking about trigger leads and trying to combat those. But in terms of like like if somebody in ops came back who'd been out of the business for 10 years. Could they do their job? And if so, why or why not? I think there's a large part of it that is still going to be the same from 10 years ago. You know, credit still is and being able to look in deeper and figure out how to help and help the originator structure loans in a safe and compliant manner is still going to be pretty similar. Guidelines change, they update, but if you have that knowledge, you can still do that. I think the big thing that's changed, especially from 10 years ago, is going to be the tech side. There is a lot more focus on that tech and you more or less have to adapt to that, I think, just to stay competitive, let alone trying to get ahead and gain market share, knowing your vendors, knowing what the options are. And it's not even necessarily looking at the alternatives to those vendors, but really taking advantage of what they have to offer and seeing, oh, they came out with this feature three years ago and we never even knew about it. So there's a lot more dialogue with the vendors and the, I'll just say ecosystem to try to figure out what is out there. Cause that then really reduces your cost to originate a loan, but it also really reduces your chance of getting hit by fraud or just simple errors. I think right now, even versus a year ago, that last one's a big one. The amount of audits is definitely going up. The amount of scrutinization of files is a lot more than it was a year ago. And that's where you've really got to be on your A-game with catching those small details because they can and will bump up. So that's where I think, especially right now, it is a tougher time within our industry. A lot of people are stretched out more than they were a year ago. As you saw, affordability has decreased, inventory has gone down, and that's got people pushed. So some people think, oh, every file is tough right now. They are tougher than normal. And that's where, again, you have to be now doubly careful, both of people willing to be flexible and do things they wouldn't normally do. But even if they're playing it straight, you've got to make sure that you're doing the responsible thing and then you're doing a responsible loan and dotting every I in there so that you don't get caught with it later. And I think that's probably the biggest change from one year ago to answer the last part of your question. Now, I've heard mixed views, mixed reports of buybacks. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you see the, some of these headlines uh, in the press or uh, from the legal community. I get you know a fair number of, of legal emails from law firms or what mortgage law firms, whatever there might be, saying you know buybacks on the rise. You know Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac on the warpath. Uh, you know don't be caught flat-footed when they want you to buy back your three percent loan at a price of you know eighty cents on the dollar. Because you know the the T wasn't crossed on page thirty two of whatever whatever. Without, I mean, I'm not asking about VIP's experience directly necessarily, but are you 
in touch with your with your counterparts and other lenders? Are you hearing buybacks increasing, decreasing, kind of staying the same uh, from from the agencies? I haven't talked to anyone so far that has not had an increase. If you have not had an increase, feel free to speak up and I will be super impressed and would love to talk to you after this to see what you've done. Um, I promise I won't try to hire you right off the bat, right off the bat. Um, (laughs) But everyone's seeing those increases. And I would probably argue that some of it, and in some cases, you know, things got crazy there for two years and people were slamming files through. And there were situations where even if you weren't trying to do things faster, even if you weren't trying to relax, people got tired. Eventually you work 68 hour, 80 hour weeks, you're likely to make a mistake. So some of it I think can be valid. Some of it is, and I've heard this from a few sources is that even on their side, they fell behind in doing their file audits. They're catching up on that now. Volume is down. They have that opportunity to go back and catch up on stuff. So I don't even necessarily think some of that is, end quote, our fault. It's just they are going through and doing more of those scrutinizations and doing more than they were before. The painful part is those loans are at 3%. Now you're at a market rate of, let's call it 6%, 7%, whatever you want. Your options now are far more limited on, well, shoot, now what do I do with this loan? It's expensive, right. painful. Why, why, if the borrowers, you know, the, the traditional argument, the borrowers making their payments, so I didn't cross the T on page 28 of the disclosure, whatever it might be. The borrowers making their payments, you know, let's figure something out. Are you hearing indemnifications or are very commonplace? We have heard more cases where people are willing to, are able to get deals if the loan is performing with the agencies. I have also heard more cases where people are going through and trying to indemnify those loans, especially if there are cases where, you know, you're seeing examples where there was bad behavior. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's, it's too bad. Um, because there's, there's enough, there are enough outside elements that we as an industry have to deal with, you know, lack of inventory, borrower education, hairier current deals, fewer deals, and so on, uh, to, to have to deal with the agencies coming back from, you know, two or three years ago saying, you know, buy this back at, you know, buy this $200,000 loan back for $200,000 and then, have to turn around and sell it for, you know, $170,000. And if you are a somewhat thinly capitalized mortgage bank, and I would argue that a lot of mortgage banks are more thinly capitalized than they were, say, a year ago, you know, that's a hit. It's a hit on the bottom line. And even if you're not a thinly capitalized, you've got to be careful with your P&Ls and having a big chunk due to stupid decisions isn't going to be kind. And if you're trying to do everything you can to be fiscally responsible and you want to keep your people, you don't want any of those buybacks because they're expensive right now. And I think the kind of double whammy is right now you're in a market where, as I mentioned, those loans are tough or people are stretched thinner. I had this chat with the GSE earlier where they were asking, well, couldn't you look to do this loan with that income and just have an LOE to explain it? The answer is no. 
if you're getting burned right now on audits for small items, you're definitely not going to try to be more flexible to help in accommodating a situation and put your limb out there while you're actively getting shut off for smaller infractions. So kind of has that double whammy. A uh, guy asked, what are the biggest issues that the GSEs are having concerns about? And I would say everything, um, <laughs> which I hate to say is like a crappy answer, but I mean, I haven't seen one particular issue that they're focusing on, nor have I heard that from others, that it's like just income or just assets or just credit. It seems to be kind of all across the board. Yeah, some good commentary in the chat too from uh, Quinn Newber, who's a compliance guru in the network, um, just from the FHLMC. Uh, note that they're indicating that they're auditing or catching up any borrower that ever claimed forbearance due to COVID, even if they did so just as a precaution and still continue to make their payments on time. Um, another question in there, if we're going to talk about the LLPA adjustments coming May 1st, probably kick that can down a little bit unless you guys have anything today just with that Uh being put off until August 1st. I'm sure it's something we'll keep a close eye on as we get closer to that date, if there's any tea leaves to be read from uh, government agencies. I'm really hoping that they come to their senses and evaluate that more or just kick them out entirely. There's, It's funny because it's just starting to hit more of the news headlines about those DTEI LLPAs. And I'm seeing People send in articles asking, are you really going to be able to get better interest rates if you have a lower credit score? So I think it's going to become a noisier issue because a DTI LLPA is not going to be anything that even makes sense to the average person. So, you know, a matrix of new DTI LLPAs or just LLPAs in general. But now that people are figuring out what that's going to entail, I think it's going to become a louder issue. My hope is that'll get more feedback. And the one that I've particularly been vocal about is the DTI-related LLPAs, which are just an organizational nightmare on the operation side. So, Rob, you mentioned that one. That's going to be real fun. Some preliminary data we did on our side was that 17% of files would be likely to have a LLPA hit mid-process because of something that happened during the loan. Um, that's a lot of cases where you're going to have a very confusing conversation with the client about why their rate just increased or eat it. And it flies in the face of, you know, our industry's mission in trying to create more affordable housing and get more consumers off the sidelines and, and into the mortgage market. So, oh, cameo here, Friday, special edition of The Rundown, special guest, Mike Metz and Myrtle. Uh, argument <laughs> out there is to who's the bigger celebrity of the two guys. I think Myrtle gets up. a lot more airtime than I do. So I'm going to vote Myrtle <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Well, uh, before we wrap up this week, uh, MBA's estimates out with 2023 loan volume reduced for the fourth straight month, now projecting $1.8 in volume for this year, 2.7% down from March's projection, also predicting the economy will shrink by 1.2% in Q2. Thank you, Rob, with the what recession commentary as you continue <laughs> to be right up to this point. And yeah. uh yeah, no, there, there's definitely, you know, there, there's certain parts of the economy that obviously aren't doing so well, um, but others are are doing very well. So, 
You know, not no tree grows to the moon forever. At some point, I mean, you could say what you will about the Federal Reserve or the Biden administration or, or anybody in the world or anything in the world. It's not as if you can abolish business cycles. And at some point, people who have been calling for a recession will be correct. At some point, people who are calling for expansion after a recession will be correct. It's just, you know, I don't. Like I said, like I've said on the show before, Tom, I've never, I've never heard a loan officer, uh, if a borrower were to come in today, a potential borrower, I've never heard a loan officer say, you know what, I think rates are going to go down. I think rates are going to be lower in three months because we're going to be in a recession. So why don't we come back then and I'll help you out? You know, it's a matter of those that loan officer trying to find the best program and rates now for a given borrower. Um, regardless of the economic conditions. But yeah, I mean, not, not everything's going gangbusters. Great point. I mean, weathermen and prognosticators of uh, economic forecasts plenty and get to stay employed without always having to be correct. In fact, our, our good friend Guy uh, commenting in the chat wanted to remind you that you said that the 10-year was not going to go over 2.5% on this very show. And uh I'll have Guy uh, go back and, and send you the link to verify that as well. But, uh, gentlemen, as we wrap for the week here, uh, Rob, I know you'll be probably Warriors playing next with Sunday night. Yeah, well, I'm about to go play tennis with a uh, with a guy with one uh, leg. Uh, oh, but yeah, yeah, the, yeah, you won that last battle. It's probably been six months that you talked about that on the show. <laughs> I got to hand it to the I got to hand it to Alan. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's out there with his titanium leg. Uh, yeah, the Warriors play again Monday or uh, Sunday in an unusual game time of 1130 Pacific. It's like college football or something. Yeah. We're watching my Cavs battle game through with the Knicks tonight. Mike, any uh, fun plans for you in the desert? And a shout out to uh, your sons that won last night as well. Uh, my fun plans are probably not most people's fun plans. We're at that stage where it's hitting about 90 degrees out here. So I'm going to go out and do a whole bunch of yard work now before it starts hitting those triple digits. Well, why don't you send some of that my way? We'd certainly take it in the uh, in the Midwest. I will gladly share some of that warmth <laughs> with you. I'd be okay with it going down another 20 degrees again. Good stuff. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much as always, Mike. Really appreciate the insights, our audience, for your feedback. Uh, be sure to watch the on-band versions on YouTube as well as the podcast. And uh, until next Friday, have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. All right, thanks, you thanks, Mike. Thanks, Tom. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.